Welcome to Time with Flora, where we talk, learn and grow together. The 15th of June marks World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. And at a period in time where the world is facing the COVID-19 pandemic, civil unrest with the Black Lives Matters campaign, global domestic abuse, to name just a few, it is important for us to remember this very vulnerable group at all times. In collaboration with the NARP+, the Nigerian Association of Retired People, I interviewed Alison Leaney, a Canadian social worker with 25 years experience working in elderly care. It's great to have you in the Time with Flora studio, Alison. Thanks so much, Flora. It's great to be here. I feel very honored to be helping uh, all of us acknowledge the 15th anniversary of World Elder Abuse Awareness Day, including the NARP in Nigeria. Please introduce yourself to our audience. I work in Vancouver, BC, British Columbia, Canada. I'm a registered social worker and I've worked in the field of um, abuse and neglect and uh, supports for older people for the last 25 years at the kind of community development policy and legislative levels. And uh, one of the things that I'm really passionate about is uh, community building and uh, just recognizing for all of us the intrinsic value of each person. Alison, you have over 25 years experience as a social worker in the elder care space in Canada. Can you tell us your experience and the progress you have witnessed over the time you have worked with this particular group? Uh, thanks for the question, Flora. Well, um, currently uh, our Canadian and provincial and territorial governments in Canada work together to provide a lot of uh, supports for older people. So we do have a universal income security program where um, in addition to receiving uh, government pension income as a result of being part of the workforce, uh, everybody is uh, eligible to apply for old age security and it is to a certain maximum. And if people don't meet the criteria for that, then it is topped up by their provincial or territorial government wherever they live. Another important program that we have that doesn't serve only seniors, but definitely including older people, is a home care program uh, based on income. Uh, people are charged a fee based on a sliding scale to receive things like uh, home nursing care or if they need help with um, being able to, you know, uh, bathe or have their meals. And there's also a lot of nonprofits that are funded to provide uh, supports like transportation or um, helping people get food and that kind of thing. Some of the big changes I've noticed in the last few years are things like an increased focus on the impact of frauds and scams on older people, really wanting to understand the impact of ageism, you know, that discrimination against older people, or it can be younger people as well, based simply on a person's age and nothing to do with who they are as a person. Um, there's also been a move nationally to enshrine in legislation a, a national dementia strategy um, so that people, you know, get supports. And also there's a research approach 
Um, and another trend that I've noticed quite a bit is with uh, the province where I live in BC, um, being the, starting leading the way, uh, establishing an office of the seniors advocate. And so this is something that uh, other provinces have followed suit on as well. So these are some of the changes that, that I've seen more recently. Thank you, Alison. The 15th of June is the World Elders Abuse Awareness Day, according to the United Nations. Elderly people are human and should be protected. What are the various forms of abuse that makes this group vulnerable? Right, Flora. And uh, this is actually the 15th anniversary of World Elder Abuse Awareness Day. Um, So great question. Um, Many different forms of abuse. It can be financial or emotional, physical, or it could be sexual. Um, It can be providing people with too much medication or not enough of the medication that they need. It can also be neglect, like someone failing to provide the necessities of life to someone else. Um, These harms can be caused by strangers, you know, as typically seen with frauds and scams. It can be by people in our lives that we believe that we can trust. There are people that are close to us or family and friends who maybe have some of their own personal financial difficulties that is increasing their own stress and and need. Um, Or it can be a new best friend who somehow sees that there's some advantage to befriending us. Um, And when I say us, I do mean us. I think that uh, any of us can be vulnerable given a certain set of circumstances to experiencing these kinds of harms. And your question about vulnerability, uh, Flora, really, what are the things that make any of us vulnerable? Well, I think some of the isms that we've been starting to talk about here. So ageism being a primary one, you know, discriminating against people simply because of their age. And if people are also dealing with some of the other isms in their life as well, like sexism and racism and ableism, these are just added uh, challenges and things that can contribute to making people vulnerable. As well, I think that as our families and, you know, families end up moving away to find work or, uh, you know, for whatever reason, people are, are, are more geographically isolated. It creates a sense of emotional isolation and loneliness that I think some people start to feel, you know, well, maybe um, having somebody in my life, even if they're not the, the, the most supportive person, or they might be causing me some harm, or um, maybe that's better than no contact at all. And I do get something from that. So, um, so I would say isolation and loneliness are really important factors as well. So how do we spot elderly abuse? And from your experience, what type of abuse do you see mostly committed towards the elderly? Well, Flora, um, I think that uh, we don't really have great ways of capturing how many people are experiencing the various forms of abuse and neglect. Um, and, And also it's, you know, there are many barriers for people being able to come forward openly and say these things that are harmful are happening to them. There's, there's just many barriers to doing so. However, when I talk to my colleagues and I, 
know a little bit about the academic literature about this, of the forms of abuse or neglect that I was mentioning. Uh, I would say that the financial uh, often accompanied with emotional abuse is uh, by, by far the most common that comes to light that, that, that we actually hear about. And maybe it's also because um, our systems for identifying and, and responding are a little bit more robust. Um, and again, this can be perpetrated by um, strangers or people close to us in our lives or a new best friend. What are the ways of identifying that this could be happening to someone? That's also a great question. Um, I think, you know, it's really important to, for those of us, uh, you know, with other people in our lives to kind of notice if there's things that appear to have changed that might be something really indicative that there could be something happening um, and it may or may not be about abuse or neglect it could be about anything but you know some things to pay attention to might be uh, like someone who has been quite involved in community activities or events that suddenly is really not showing up anymore or maybe when people talk to them they seem more hesitant and tentative and unsure about things or appear to be anxious or um, or maybe there's things to notice visibly like maybe they have less food or less clothing or uh, so it's really I think about noticing uh, important changes that could be indicative that something is occurring and I think it's also important to note that uh, you know people people's lives do get shortened by this experience. I think we have academic literature that really does indicate that. So Alison, elder abuse is a global social issue which affects the health and human rights of millions of older persons around the world. And it is an issue that deserves serious attention. What are the measures that we should be putting in place to prevent such abuse? Well, Flora, I really am a firm believer in all jurisdictions building on local existing strengths. Um, you know, I can speak to my own jurisdiction here in British Columbia in Canada, where we have kind of a two-pronged approach to responding to abuse and neglect. The first is really a focus on uh, preventing these circumstances from occurring in the first place. And so there has been a real and continues to be a real grassroots movement supported by the BC Association of Community Response Networks that really um, provides, uh, you know, instrumental and educational informational supports to uh, community networks all over the province who are working both at the community and individual level to uh, prevent these situations from happening. So they're addressing ageism and all the other isms. They're letting people know their rights. Uh, and they're also rolling out an initiative called the It's Not Right Neighbors, Friends and Families Bystander Campaign, which is an initiative I was involved in uh, nationally before it came to BC. And it's really about supporting all of us to have supportive respectful conversations with older people when we do notice some of those things that are causing us concern. We know that if uh, we don't uh, intervene in some way that sometimes, well, quite often these situations do become more serious and more entrenched. So a way of talking with the person and um, finding out from them uh, what would be helpful and letting them know that they're, they're cared about. 
So prevention is number one. Number two, we have legislation in the province that is uh, about giving a mandate to our five regional health authorities to uh, do certain things if they receive a report of abuse or neglect. And those things include um, that they must respond, they must report criminal offenses to police for them to do an investigation, and they must find out from the adult by interviewing them in person what would be supportive to them. This law gives additional uh, legal tools to assist adults in circumstances where they are experiencing a huge amount of danger, maybe their lives are at risk, and maybe they are mentally incapable of understanding the danger that they are actually in. And these designated agencies work very closely with the public guardian and trustee who has a role to investigate uh, financial harm and to uh, put protections in place if there is a reason to believe that uh, an adult is mentally incapable. So a two-pronged approach.